Honor is a reflection of a heart that fears God. When I was in middle school, I remember my stepsister came into town uh, to visit, and my parents were like, hey, let's go to the mall. Like, I, I remember just being in middle school and thinking the mall was super cool. And so, like, let's go to this mall. And we didn't go, like, on a weekend. This was, like, a random Tuesday in the week. And so we go to the mall, and my mom does what all moms do when the family gets together. Y'all know what it is? Y'all know what we do when moms do when family get together? Stay together, but let's take photos, right? Let's take a picture. And so my mom is, like, getting her camera out. She's like, oh, stay right there. Take a picture. Like, and she's like, say cheese, right? And we're just taking photos. Like, come on, mom. And we'll keep walking, and, and she'll see another spot. Like, oh, this would be great. Take a picture right there. Like, act like you like your sister, you know? And, uh, and so she's like, take a picture. And let me clarify, though, because uh, when you guys are like, what? She got her camera out. Back then... Uh, we didn't, she didn't use her cell phone to take photos. We actually used our cell phone to make phone calls. And we had this thing called digital cameras. Some of you young people are like, wow, Chocolate Bee, you're an ancient dinosaur. Like just, we had this digital camera. It had like a little, little string attached and we could, you could zoom up. It was so cool, guys. Like, and uh, and I, I remember she would go around and we're taking photos. And we're leaving the mall, and then all of a sudden, we hear from a distance this security guard, like, yell over to my mom. And the security guard goes, ma'am, I'll need to confiscate your camera. What? Now, we're like, yeah, we're like, what? what? Like, what's the big deal? We thought maybe he's joking. Like, ha-ha, Mr. Security Guard, you're so funny. And we just kept walking. Like, we just kept leaving. And then he goes, no, 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 ma'am. I need to confiscate your camera, and he grabs my mom's arm and pulls her back. Now, here's what you need to know. My mom is this short little Asian lady, but she don't play. She will karate chop somebody. Like, you just don't play, right? And so this guy goes, ma'am, I need to confiscate your camera, grabs her arm, and then all of a sudden, my mom just turns up. Like, all of a sudden, her neck just got, like, all kinds of wobbly. And she was like, I know you did not just touch my arm, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, I dare you to touch me one more time. I'm like, oh, shoot, this is crazy. And, uh, and she was like, don't touch, this is my stuff, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, wow, this is pretty cool. And, uh, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, my dad comes by. He sees the commotion. And can I just tell you, I thought my dad, who I've known, you know, most of my life, um, I thought he was going to come in like, you know, this the man of God. Like, I know my dad. He's just a prayer warrior. He just fears God. I thought he was going to come into the situation and be like, guys, let's just forgive each other. Let's just love one another. Let's just calm down. I thought that that's what's going to happen. But what happened is my dad comes in. He was like, hey, yo. You just grabbed my woman? And I was like, oh, shoot, I didn't even know that was your woman, dog. Like, that's crazy, yo. I didn't even know. And he's like, you grabbed my woman. And they start talking back to each other, like, back and forth. And it starts escalating. Like, I, I remember, like, the, the security guard got in my dad's face, like, right here, and starts yelling at him, all this stuff. And see, what we didn't know, we didn't know. That the security guard, back then, you, you know, people would come with their, their cameras and stuff, and they would take photos of the signs and, and different stores and use it for false promotion. That's what he thought we were doing. We didn't know that. We just said, bro, you just touched my mom's arm. She's about to kill you, right? And so 
They are yelling back and forth. Like the security guard is like, blah, 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 yelling. And my dad just starts going back. Like he didn't back down. He's hurling insults. He's like, you're a nobody. I was like, wow, dad, this guy's just trying to make a living. Like, like he's just like, you ran a cop. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. I'm like, world star, you know. And, uh, and so they're yelling back and forth. And if I can be honest, I'm watching this all unfold, and I'm 13 years old, and I had three different options of what I could do in the moment. Like option number one, I could just sit back, watch, grab the popcorn, right? Get my digital camera, record it, put it on MySpace, <laughs> you know? Uh, no Facebook then. And I could have done that. I could have came in like, yo, y'all need to break it up. Like this is not worth it. Like we need to, we, we need to be better men, right? I could have done that, or I could have got involved. If I could just be honest, when you're in middle school, you don't make wise decisions. And so I got involved. And so I get right behind my dad, not even like, not even beside him. I'm behind my dad while they're yelling. I'm like, yeah, what he said. Booyah. Like, just, I just couldn't, you know. And I, I didn't know how to do this. I've never had this experience. Like, I remember the security guard was like, man, I'm going to beat you guys up. And I didn't know how to respond, so I just mimicked him. I was like, I'm going to beat you guys up. You know, just, I was never trained in this area. And so they're yelling back and forth. And then all of a sudden, the security guard gets on his, his walk and He goes, I need backup. These two gentlemen are trying to attack me. And you would have thought that would have been like, okay, we need to chill out. But for some reason, in the heat of the moment, it was like, oh, you're going to call the boys, huh? Okay, let's go. You want to call the boys. That's how you are. Okay, that's how it is. And so they're going back and forth, like yelling at each other. My dad's like, ah. The guy's like, ah, 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 just yelling. And then my mom, my mom is crazy, guys. Like legitimate. Anybody have crazy moms? Amen. I truly believe that crazy mothers builds character. Just just does. And so my, my mom, she, she's seeing this, like they're yelling back and forth, ah, ah, ah. And she steps in the middle, in between them, like gets in between them, and looks the security guy in his face and goes, hey, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Woo. Yo, the power of words. No joke. It got dead silent. Yelling to dead silent. Now, let me clarify. It's not because of the rebuke. It was because for the first time in that altercation, we agreed with the security guard that this woman's out of her mind. Like, we just were like, <laughs> we walked away we're like, what? You just like, oh, man. Why you have to do that, right? Honor is a reflection of a heart that fears God. Today, as we close up our series about taming the tongue, Here's what I want us to understand. Understand that the root of your words is a reflection of how you view God. The root of how you talk and speak is a reflection of how you see the king of kings. It's, well, I, I talk about fearing God. Now, if you never grew up in church, you're like, what do you mean fear God? Like, be, be scared? You know, fearing God is to have this holy reverence for him. It's to say, man, you are so mighty, you're so proud. I have this reverence for you. Why am I talking about this when it comes to taming the tongue? Well, the truth is, 
The key to taming the tongue and, and, and to be able to control your speech and your words has everything to do with how holy reverence you have for the Lord. Has everything. It's just saying that you have this humility, humility before the king. James 4, 6 says it. It says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so I don't know if we want to preach that kind of message in church. Because it's like we live in a culture that, oh, man, you do you, man. Just, you know, and we have this so much selfishness and this me worship. Nobody wants to hear, hey, you have a prideful heart. God is resisting you. But that's clearly what James says. But why is this such a big deal? Because here what you need to understand, too, when it comes to having conversations, that the way you honor others is a reflection of how you honor the Lord. The way you honor the Jesus inside someone is a reflection. It shows, it reveals how you actually honor God. You can't just honor God but dishonor people. I mean, James 3 talks about it, the chapter right before James 4, where he says, man, with the tongue, it's a set on fire from, from hell. And, you, and you, you, uh, you bless God with it, but at the same time you curse man. So it's not, you, you can't do that. But how you honor someone is a reflection of how you honor God. This is not new. Jesus talked about it. He said, in as much as you have done to the least of these, you have done unto me. So be careful if you think you're just honoring the Lord but dishonoring his creation. He said that. He made us in his image. So when you dishonor someone, you're dishonoring the image of the Lord. Today as we talk about taming the tongue, I just want to call out what the, I see the problem is. And we kind of talked about it. I think we've lost this culture of honor. We've lost it. And we've replaced it with a culture of entitlement. We think we, 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 we have this culture of what we think we deserve. Like, if, yes, you, you flippantly say something out of anger because you deserve to be able to say that because you're angry. We, we have this entitlement. Yes, I can pop off. Yes, I can say whatever I want because, you know what, that's how I feel. And that's what I deserve to be able to release. And we mask ourselves, we mask this dishonor with sarcasm, with teasing, with joking. And if I can just be real, out of my whole walk with the Lord, this is the one area that I really struggle with for so long. Is being able to use my words to honor versus dishonor. It was tough for me. I used to, because growing up, I grew up in Hawaii, and in Hawaii, the way we got along with each other is we would tease each other and joke, and we'd make fun of, and that's how we got along. But as I got older, I realized that DNA would oftentimes pierce the hearts of the ones I most loved, and it hurt them. Now, some of you guys, well, chocolate beer, you mean I can't tell jokes or can't tease or... Sarcasm is who, I'm a sarcastic person. I truly believe that you are son or daughter of the one true king and that sarcasm does not define you. 
And now I'm not saying, oh, you can't joke around. What I'm just saying is I want us to have this holy reverence of how we use our words to the Lord and value in his creation. Turn with me to Mark chapter 6. Mark is in the New Testament, and it's the gospel account of Jesus' life through the eyes of Mark. Now, interestingly enough, Mark is a little bit different than the other, the other gospels. He's different than Matthew, John, and Luke in the sense of Matthew, John, and Luke usually like to focus. They'll focus on the teachings of Jesus, whereas Mark, you see, he focuses on the miracles of Jesus. And so in Mark chapter 6, leading up to this point, Jesus has done incredible miracles. Like he's healed the blind. He's opened the ears of the deaf. Like, like he's done some incredible, like he multiplied food in Jesus' name, right? Like I'm like, I want to see that miracle at my house later. Just multiply the food, Lord, you know. But he's done all this in different cities and different towns. And in Mark chapter 6, he's going back to his hometown. I don't know about you, the, the expectation I would have is, yo, you did that miracle there and that city, now you're going back home. Oh, what kind of big miracle do you have at your house, like at your hometown? That's what I would expect. But let's see what happens in Mark 6, starting in verse 1. It says this, then he went out from there and came to his own country and his disciples followed him. Again, let's just pause. Imagine the perception that Jesus has. Okay. He's been doing all these miracles. And now he's going back home. You would, ex you would assume that he's probably like, yo, I'm going to get this warm welcome back home. Like, I'm going to see all my friends like, hey, yo, Jesus, what up, dog? Yo, welcome back, my dude. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, was just, I, would, I would expect that. But not just that. It says, ready? And his disciples followed him. So he didn't just show up by himself. He brought his new friends. I'm sure he went to his hometown, like, showing him all the spots. Like, hey, yo, I remember over there I did that. I remember, like... Showing, showing him all the, his, his stomping grounds. But in verse 2 it says this, ready? And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these teachings? And what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Now if you read it like that, like, hey, where did he get these teachings? You would read it out of context. Because that's not how they approached these conversations. This wasn't a, wow, this dude is awesome. Wow, he learned a lot in college. Like, this wasn't that moment. This was more of a, what? This dude knows this? He knows scripture? No, not Jesus. He was a carpenter. I seen him work with his hands. He don't know. Education, that's not his thing. What, he's a rabbi now? Who signed off on that one? Oh, and he's got disciples? People actually follow this guy? That's the conversation that they're having when they're saying, where did this man get these things? It was out of dishonor. But let me give you context of why they're saying these things. Because in Luke chapter 4, it's the same story. But it expounds a little bit more. When it says that Jesus is in the synagogue, he's, he's teaching. He's reading from the prophet Isaiah. 
And he reads this, 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 this part in Isaiah where, where I, uh, the prophecy is talking about the Messiah. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Now, I'm sure that when Jesus read the scripture, these guys in the synagogue heard this a bunch of times. It's been read multiple times. They've all been expecting the Messiah. It's been read a bunch of times. But what Jesus does, according to Luke chapter 4, he rolls up the scroll, closes the book, and says, today, this scripture is fulfilled. A.K.A., you've been waiting for the Messiah. I'm here. This is it. I'm like, yo, let, let's do this. And this is why they're up in arms because they're like, wait, we've been waiting for the Messiah. And you would assume they'd be like, yeah, let's go. The Messiah's here. But they're like, no, no, no. You're Jesus. I saw you get raised up. You're the Messiah. What? They even say this. Ready? Verse 3. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. They said, what? This kid is the Messiah? Isn't he the carpenter? I've seen him before. No, can't be him. And then, not just is this not the carpenter, they do something that's really insulting. They talk about Jesus' mama. We're talking about Jesus' mama. But for real, they say, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary? Here's what you need to understand. That was very insulting in Jewish culture. In culture. Why? Because oftentimes a son, when they were talking about the lineage, was often referred to by their father, not their mother. Normally they'd say, isn't that Jesus the son of Joseph? But in this one, isn't that Jesus the son of Mary? They were trying to change up the culture to dishonor him. Try to dishonor him. Here's what you need to understand. That honor gives value. But dishonor treats as common. Honor gives value. Dishonor treats as common. This is literally translated from Greek. That the Greek word for honor means value. The Greek word for dishonor means to treat as common. He said, no, this is just the hometown boy. This can't be the Messiah. I've seen him. I've seen him grow up. I've seen what he did. He hangs out with sinners. He hangs out with prostitutes. They treat him as ordinary. Church family, my prayer is that when we step into the presence of God, that we would not treat him as ordinary or common. I too often see that when we step into the presence of God on Sunday or whatever, we just come in rolling and going through the motions and treat the presence as ordinary as common. It's just another Sunday. It's just another service. It's just another worship set. It's just another sermon. It's just another altar call. And we treat this presence his presence, and what he wants to do as just common. And we don't give value. Understand that you're here in this room not to just participate, but to give value to the king. That how you worship and what you do is giving value to the king from your life. That when you worship, you're not singing. You're giving value to the king. That he is worthy to be praised. Scripture even talks about that honor the Lord with your possessions. When you give, and it's not you giving money just to give money. This is you valuing the king and his kingdom. 
Verse 4 says this. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his house. Now, verse 5 will throw some of y'all for a loop because it did for me. Verse 5 says, now he could, this is Jesus, now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Jesus comes back to his hometown. He just did all these miracles. He says, hey, I'm the Messiah. They dishonor him. Is this not this ordinary man? And it says, he could not do any mighty work there. I don't know about you, but when I first read this, this messed with my theology. Like, it didn't say he would not. It said he could not. If I can be real, I'd be okay if it said he would not. If Jesus was like, oh, that's how you treated me? Uh-uh, ain't doing that around here. You do you, boo-boo. I'm like, yo, get him, Jesus. But he said he could not. Hold on. I thought you were the Messiah. I thought you were the Son of God. What do you mean you could not? Let me clarify for anyone that's had questions. This was not a question based on the power of God, but rather on the condition of our heart to receive. He could not because the condition of the heart of the people were not ready to receive mighty works. And they did that by dishonoring. Here's what you need to know. Dishonor restrains Jesus, but honor releases Jesus. Dishonor restrains Jesus, but honor releases Jesus. Like, I mean, they could have experienced more of God than they ever had, but because they dishonored him, it restrained him. This is not new. Some of you guys are like, is this new theology? Nope. Let's go Old Testament. Many of us know the Ten Commandments. Some parents have probably quoted this whenever their kids are being bad. They'll say in Exodus 20, they'll say, honor your mother and your father, right? And what's the promise? That your days may be long. Let's translate that. Honor releases God to do a mighty work. When you honor, your days will be long. A mighty work. This is not new. Matthew chapter 8, there's a centurion who his servant is, is literally like sick and dying. So he goes to Jesus like, yo, Jesus, can you heal my servant? Jesus like, all right, let's go. He goes, no, no, no. Listen, you're so worthy. You're so holy. I, I truly believe that just by the word that he is healed. Jesus goes, man, you have marvelous faith. He was honored. And what happened? It opened the door for some miracle to happen because he honored and released Jesus. But in the same manner, dishonor, dishonor restrains Jesus. Dishonor restrains him to be able to do mighty works. I'll talk to husbands in the room or future husbands, okay? Scripture says this in 1 Peter, and I want you to catch it. 1 Peter 3, 17. It says, husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding. Ready? Giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Husbands, give honor to your wife so that your prayers may not be hindered. Whew. 
I think too many husbands are like, God, I want you to do this in my life. And God's like, I'm just waiting for you to honor your wife. I'll answer those prayers once you honor your spouse. The condition of your heart matters. But just as much, I just want you guys to understand. And when it comes to honor or dishonor, you will be known for how you honor or dishonor. You'll be known. People will know you. That would be your, how they label you. Whether you're someone that, is, that honors or someone that dishonors. That you're one that speaks life or one that speaks death. I know this because a few years ago, we were uh, flying in an airline. And uh, I won't share what airline it is because I don't want to promote any airlines. But it was Southwest Airlines. Um, and we're, we're at the gate. And uh, we're about to check in into the plane. Right? You where they scan your ticket, beep, you know, you go in. And I remember when they started doing it, the guy that was checking everyone in started complimenting and honoring every single person that walked in. Like they, they're like, hey, one through 16, come on, right? And he, boop, wow, you look great today. I love your smile, boop. You know, next person, wow, that's a great outfit, boop. And so I'll be honest, I mean, your boy was a little skeptical because I was like, oh, he's only doing that for the people that paid 20 extra dollars to get a good seat, right? I was just like, will he do that with everyone? And it passed, you know, A, and everyone that was sitting down, there was hundreds of people who were like, oh, wow, I wonder what he's going to say about me. Like, I'm a grown man waiting for another grown man to comp compliment me. I was like, please tell me I look good. I don't know. And so I was like, I wonder what's going to happen. Will he keep doing it? Will he do it to the C group? You know, the C group, that's the people that, you know, bought the ticket but forgot to set an alarm to, yeah, check in early. All right, so we're in C group. I'm like, I wonder, and, he, and I go up. I'm just waiting. Everyone's hurt. They got their compliment. And I was like, hey, man. He goes, wow, you look like you lost weight. I'm like, I know I did, right? Yeah, just like, he didn't know who I was, right? But for some reason, I don't know that guy's name. I will know him because of his honor. You will also be known if you dishonor. If that's your normal thing. People don't want to be around people that dishonor. Because it destroys, it spreads, and it's hard to get back. If you're someone that dishonors, understand that your words will spread and it's hard for you to try to get back. Let me explain it like this. I'll show you. Um, last week, on Thursday actually, our executive team was up in Colorado and we decided it would be a great idea to hike a 14er mountain, Mount Quandry, which is 14,000 feet above uh, sea level. Now, let me just tell you, your boys from Hawaii, I like sea level. That was already 14,000, too high for me, okay? I remember going up to the top, I'm like, <sighs> you're just like, why are we doing this right now? You ever been in a moment like, why are we doing this? And so I want us to pretend in this room that we're on Mount Quandry. I just hiked it. It was awesome. And uh, at the top, like, there's no trees, but you have 360-degree views. It's so cool, right? And so when you're up there, uh, I want you to pretend that while we're up on this high mountain, 14,000 feet up, that we have just... Laying on this mountain, a pile of feathers, okay? Just laying on this mountain, pile of feathers there. I'll put some feathers over here. Ooh, look at that. Man, if you're old school Pentecostal, you're like, whoa, feathers and gold dust, here we go. All right, and so let's just pretend 
we're on this 14,000-foot mountain. And they got all these feathers up on this mountain. Now, because this mountain, you see it has no trees, oftentimes it gets really windy at the top. It is so awesome. So let's pretend we're on this mountain, 14,000 feet up. We got this pile of feathers up top. And all of a sudden, like a mighty rushing wind, Holy Spirit comes on. And then all of a sudden, it just blows all the feathers off of this mountain, 14,000 feet. It's so high up there. Let me give you all some love over here. See if it will reach. Some of you guys are like, why did I sit in the front row? Okay. Y'all didn't even know. Y'all were like, front row, here we go, splash zone. Now what if I were to tell you, okay, 14,000 feet, that just blew everywhere, mighty rushing wind, you see feathers everywhere. And I said, okay, here's what I need you to do. Here's your assignment. Go get that bag that they all came in. I need you to climb down the mountain and go pick up every single feather that blew off the mountain. Now, we're off of this just a few feet, but imagine 14,000. It probably spread forever. The wind probably picked it up. And I said, hey, you can't continue on with life until you pick up every single feather. Now, you might go around, you might be able to grab a whole bunch of pile of it and, and get more and more and more. But as you notice that the wind picked up and because of the elevation, like it started to go a lot further than you expected. So you're trying to find every feather. Now, I'm not saying this task is impossible, but it's probably the most difficult thing that you could ever do. Because who's to know where each feather landed, how far it landed? Let me bring it home. Understand that when you use your words to dishonor, to put down, it's like these feathers on the top of a mountain. That whatever music that was, that was awesome. But it's like those feathers blowing off of a mountain. If you were to try to get back every dishonoring word that you ever said, every word that you pierced somebody else's heart, one, you don't know how far your word went, and it'd feel very impossible to try to get back. And you will be known and your reputation will be known as someone that not just doesn't speak life but speaks death. And it's hard to change the perception of that. And can I just add that? That could possibly change your witness. Because someone's like, I don't want the Jesus that they know because the Jesus that they know hurt me because of some dishonoring words. Understand that honor comes from love, gratitude, and discipline. I like to think that honor is a weapon. Just like worship is a weapon, I think honor is a weapon. That it's used in battle for relationships, in conflict, in tension. That whenever there's an opportunity for you to, to have a, uh, a conflict, that instead of using it to destroy, you can use it to sharpen as iron sharpens iron. And you'll be able to glorify the Lord in it. This is the verse that kind of sums up the whole thing in 1 Peter. 
First Peter in two, it says, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. Can I give a challenge to you guys? I challenge you guys to outdo one another in honor. Outdo one another in honor. That people will come to know Jesus because of how you honor. Now, this doesn't mean that you can't have conflict, but may you honor the Jesus in that person whenever you go and, re and resolve conflict.